Welcome to Talking Biotech, the podcast dedicated to exploring the latest advancements in biotechnology, sponsored by Calabra, the R&D software that accelerates scientific discovery with AI. Each week, we'll dive into the latest innovations and discoveries with industry leaders and pioneers. Now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Fulta. Welcome to the Talking Biotech Podcast. It's the weekly podcast about agriculture and medicine with an emphasis on biotechnology and the good things we can do for people and the planet. My name is Kevin Fulda. I'm your podcast host. And this week we're going to visit a topic that we've touched on a couple of times, but it's an important one. If we're going to have agriculture, we're going to grow plants, and we're going to make food for 10 billion people, it's going to require fixed nitrogen. Now, nitrogen, when you fix it, well, let's, let's start out with what's nitrogen. You know, nitrogen is in every breath we take. It's something like 70% of the air we breathe. So here's this inert nitrogen, which is not usable by plants, that they are literally bathed in. And yet agriculture has to apply exogenous nitrogen. We have to apply fertilizers in order to provide enough nitrogen for the plants to use in order for them to live, grow properly. So this has some edges to it because it takes energy to fix that nitrogen. It takes energy to apply that nitrogen. And then the excess nitrogen ends up either in the ground or even potentially in water. So a number of companies have come up with strategies to attempt to mitigate these problems. And today we're going to talk to Nolan Berg. He's the president and general manager of Exotic North America. That's A-Z-O-T-I-C, Exotic North America. Welcome to the podcast, Nolan. Thanks, Kevin. It's a pleasure to talk with you. Yeah, it's really nice to talk to you too, because we really are putting another leg on our nitrogen stool here. We've talked about nitrogen in a number of different ways, from plants that have associated bacteria that can fix nitrogen to uh, folks trying to re-engineer microbes to fix more nitrogen. And uh, your story is a little different, but let's start with nitrogen itself. Mm -hmm. We already mentioned that nitrogen, you know, it's important for increasing production and uh, increasing yields from conventional crops. So why is nitrogen so important? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's critical. It's uh, the invention of nitrogen fertilizer uh, was revolutionary to, to agriculture. Uh, before this invention uh, by Haber and Bosch uh, that was early in the 1900s, Farmers didn't have a lot of fertility options. They could spread manure and attempt crop rotations, but that kept agriculture at a little better than subsistence farming. The Haber-Bosch invention of nitrogen fertilizer led to an increase in yields in the range of 30 to 50 percent, which in turn boosted population growth substantially. So I, I guess that leads to the question of, you know, what exactly is nitrogen doing in a plant that makes it so important for, for growth and yield? And most importantly, nitrogen is a critical component of chlorophyll. That's the green we see in leaves. And plants use chlorophyll to capture the energy from sunlight through photosynthesis to produce sugars for growth. And that, you know, that just shows how critical it is. 
Well, and it's in lots of other stuff too, like every single protein and uh, lots of other molecules that are dependent upon the presence of nitrogen. But what's the problem with Haber-Bosch? The, the Haber-Bosch process, I guess, can be credited with feeding the world and helping the, the world population thrive from the, the 1.6 billion people that were around in the early 1900s to the 7.7 billion people that are on the planet today. And, and, and as you alluded to, Kevin, the, the 10 billion people that, you know, are, are going to be right around the corner in our, our history here. The issue is that fertilizer comes, you know, fertilizer use comes at a cost. Uh, fertilizer manufacturing accounts for approximately 3% of the world's carbon footprint. Uh, and nitrogen fertilizer, once applied to fields, can leach, can run off, can gas off. And, you know, the runoff can find itself in rivers, lakes, and oceans and have the unintended impact of feeding waterborne microorganisms that, in its worst case, can cause dead zones like have been found in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah, so there's a lot of downside to the use of nitrogen, at least the indiscriminate use. You know, what isn't taken up by the plant is going somewhere. But how disastrous would it be to, you know, some people say we need to stop use of nitrogen fertilizers altogether and only can go with, well, should say synthetic nitrogen fertilizers. But other types of production, like you know, organic production, still uses nitrogen fertilizers. But what would be the problem if we lost conventional uh, nitrogen application in the level that we're using it from a synthetic form? The ramifications would be significant, to say the least. Uh, it would be extremely difficult to grow an economically viable crop without without synthetic fertilizer. So as soon as you know, as soon as a discussion starts moving towards stopping fertilizer use in, in any given area, you're, you're also talking about the end of commercial agriculture in that area. Um, you know, I, I would suggest that the more practical solution is to provide farmers options to reduce synthetic fertilizer without compromising yield and, and you know, move the discussion towards transition versus, um, you know, a, a stop. Uh, an immediate stop, and and that's where that's where biotechnology comes in, um, where where biotechnology is providing solutions where uh, that you know solutions that provide nitrogen sustainability tools in farmers' fertility toolboxes. Well, let's talk about that idea. I love the idea of the nitrogen sustainability toolbox. And some of the mm -hmm. things that we've talked about on the podcast are the land races of corn that were that have been uh, discovered in Mexico that have mm -hmm. these associate, associated symbionts that help fix nitrogen for the plant. And we've talked with other companies that have uh, microbes that they're engineering to put in new hardware, genetic hardware, to allow that chassis, allow that, that basic shell of a bacterium to now become nitrogen uh, fixing. So right. what is Exotic working on? What are, what are you doing and what is your approach? Yeah, yeah. And well, you know, to your, to your point, there's a lot of amazing uh, innovations going on in this biotech and biological uh, space. Um, and what, what Azotic is, is working on is, is a product we call Invita. And Invita is, 
is a bacteria. It's a specific strain of, of bacteria, uh, Gluconocetobacter diazotrophicus, uh, which took me probably a couple of years to pronounce correctly. Um, but we call it GD for, for short. And, and GD is one little bacteria that does one thing very well. It gets into the plant. It produces nitrogen, fixes nitrogen when and where it's needed the most. Uh, it's, it's a naturally occurring food grade microbe that forms a symbiotic relationship with plants and provides the plant with the ability to fix their own nitrogen. Uh, we currently have uh, Invita registered in 40 states uh, and, and counting and launched the product in the U.S. Uh, in spring of 2019 with hundreds of corn growers already uh, trying it out. The, and the reason, the reason there's so much interest in it is that our research shows that Invita provides up to a 20% increase in yield if the farmer used uh, normal or recommended fertility levels. And if farmers are looking to cut back their nitrogen, our research has found that a farmer can reduce their nitrogen fertility rates 27% and achieve the same yields as if they'd put on 100% of their, uh, of their regular nitrogen uh, fertility program. And for crops like rice, we found that we can reduce uh, nitrogen up to 50%. So basically, it's a question of a farmer sitting down and looking at the economics of this. What is the cost of the product, the savings from the nitrogen, and then kind of seeing where that balance floats so that they can see if this is the right application for them? Exactly, exactly. It's, uh, and, you know, it, in, to our earlier discussion about it's, it's likely a transition that's going to go on. I think, uh, you know, one of the biggest things about biotechnology and biologicals is it's new and it's uh there's so it's moving at such a, a fast pace uh it's difficult for for farmers to keep up to it there's lots lots to wrap their heads around so what we're finding farmers doing off off the top is is to apply in vita rate uh, with their regular regular fertility program they're not too many farmers are willing to cut their nitrogen back 25% and potentially lose all that yield without proving it to themselves. So we tend to find that a grower in their first year will, will apply Invita on top of 100%, you know, their regular fertility program. But after that, once they've proven it to themselves, then they, ha then they have the confidence to cut it back. And so it is a two or three year uh, exercise to really get into that nice balance of, of less nitrogen without compromising yield. You mentioned this is a naturally occurring bacterium. Is it something that occurs everywhere in the world or really is it just on specific types of crops? Right. Yes. So, so Invita is a, was originally uh, discovered in sugarcane in 1988. So it's endemic to uh, North America. We, we then uh, spent many years isolating the, the uh, a particular strain of the bacteria that we found to be the most robust that could survive in, in the most conditions. And the most unique um, aspect of this bacteria is that it is, has uh, a great ability to form a symbiotic relationship with practically any crop. We have 
uh, and any plant. We have yet to find a plant that it does not uh, colonize and does not have a symbiotic um, relationship with. So uh, it was discovered in in uh, sugarcane, but the the practical uh, applications of where where we can use Invita is infinite. Yeah, this brings up a million different questions with me. So let me go at them one by one, maybe. So is this something that's applied as a seed treatment or is this applied, you spray the plant or how does this get in? So Invita is currently uh, in a liquid formulation and it's applied directly to the seed as a seed treatment or as an in application. Uh, essentially, we need to get the bacteria directly on the seed. So that when it when it germinates, the bacteria can enter into the plant and grow with it as it grows. Uh, we're currently working on a foliar a foliar application, uh, one that could be applied, uh, you know, at an early uh, growth stage of the plant. And we're also working on dry formulations that um, that would give even you know more uses, more possibilities of of how to use it. And the other thing that you said that I kind of caught in the beginning was you said it gets in the plant. And is, is this an endophytic bacterium that's actually inside the organism? It is. It is. And, and, and that's one of, the, one of the things that differentiates it from, you know, shall we say, the more well-known um, nitrogen-fixing bacteria. Some, some people may be familiar with uh, rhizobia. That, uh, that are found in soybeans and rhizobia, you know, uh, forms nodules on the outside of the root system of, of soybeans and helps the plant uh, produce uh, uh, nitrogen throughout the growing season. The, uh, one of the most unique things about uh, Invita is that it, it, it does get inside the plant. It works its way into the plant. Uh, intracellularly throughout the plant and as the plant grows it grows along with it so the if you if you get into you know the challenges of nitrogen and and the inefficiencies the inherent inefficiencies of nitrogen use within a plant you start thinking about a plant has to pull up nitrogen from the soil and it has to use water and it has to use energy to pull up nitrogen from the soil and get it to the uh, the actively growing parts of the plant that that's issue number one issue number two is that most of that nitrogen is available right at seeding and after seeding um, the nitrogen some of that nitrogen leaches away in the soil um, gases off from the soil and the plant needs that nitrogen um, when it's getting into grain fill in the latter half of the of the growing season. So, long story short, is the plant the plant is up against needing, uh, you know, it need it needs the nitrogen in the leaves and it needs it later in the season, and that's the opposite of what synthetic nitrogen provides it. Back to Invita, Invita grows with the plant. It grows and, and gets itself into every cell uh, within the plant. So you have a natural source of nitrogen sitting right, right in the plant cells, right beside the chloroplasts as they are demanding uh, nitrogen for, for growth. 
So it's exactly where it's needed. Um, and it's, it's growing throughout the season. So you have this natural source of nitrogen uh, available in the plant throughout the growing season. So all of a sudden the issues of not, not having nitrogen where it's needed and when it's needed go away. Uh, and Vita puts it exactly where it's needed and when, when it's needed. So where does it get the nitrogen? I mean, you're inside a plant. I know there are air spaces, certainly stomata will open up and give you air that, you know, solubilizes inside the matrix of this, of the um, apoplast and stuff. But is there, how, how is it getting access to the nitrogen it needs inside the cell? Well, you're, you're exactly right. It's as the, as, as the uh, plant is, is bringing in uh, CO2 uh, through the stomata to, in its natural processes, it's also bringing in nitrogen. And, and as you alluded to uh, earlier, um, nitrogen is uh, basically 70-80% of, of the atmosphere. So there's, there's an, uh, a very available source of nitrogen that is getting into the plant it just in, until now, until the, the introduction of Invita to put it in the cells of the plant, there was nothing, there was nothing that plants like corn or soybeans or well, uh, corn and, and rice and, and wheat could do. So all this is really fascinating. We're talking about how to be able to take nitrogen from the atmosphere fix it with bacteria that live inside the plant a bacterium called D gd because <laughs> i didn't catch its whole name uh, we're speaking with nolan berg he's the president and general manager of exotic north america this is the talking biotech podcast and we'll be back in just a moment the talking biotech podcast is a sole production of kevin folza the opinions expressed are those of him and his guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the University of Florida or the faculty of the Horticultural Sciences Department, its staff, students, custodians, maintenance folks, ladies in the cafeteria, or anybody else. But then again, they probably do. It is science after all. But let it be said that this podcast is independent of the University of Florida in every way you can imagine except that the host works there, at least for the time being. This podcast was recorded, produced, promoted, and distributed on personal time, using personal equipment, and personal hygiene products most of the time. The website and hosting are paid 100% by Kevin Folta personally. Now, as you might guess, there is a good rationale for having to make these very clear statements. Suffice it to say, the enemies of science and reason continue to exert unfortunate pressures that threaten the long-term sustainability of this educational vehicle. And now, back to the podcast. And now we're back on the Talking Biotech Podcast. We're speaking with Nolan Berg. He's the President and General Manager of Azotic North America. We're talking about their product called Envita. And Invita is a special strain of a bacterium that's found everywhere that has been shown to take up residence within the plants and within the cell and fix nitrogen on site. And the ramifications of this are pretty obvious. If we can fix more nitrogen within the plant, we don't have to apply fertilizers. So we're going back to the questions on this. And 
when we look at Invita, is it really just a single bacterium or are these multiple bacterium working together? No, it's uh, for Invita, it's a single, single bacterium. It is uh, Gluconocetobacter diazotrophicus. Um, and it, it took us many years to, to isolate the, uh, the most robust strain that, that could work across uh, all sorts of environmental conditions and, and across all um, as, as many crops as we've been able to test it upon. So um, a lot of the biological solutions uh, that are out there become a, a mix or a consortia of bacteria. Um, this this uh, little bacteria stands, uh, stands strongly on its own two feet. It, uh, by itself, it can replace 27% of the nitrogen needs of a corn plant and, and up to 50% of uh, of a rice plant well this is really intriguing but there's one obvious limitation for me that comes to mind with what plants you can apply it to uh, i know a lot of plants have problems with bacterial infections that are controlled with antimicrobials both organic and conventional that you're using things like copper or um, you know spectinomycin you know controlling fire blight and other types of problems in fruit trees so when you apply an exogenous control for antimicrobial treatment, does this affect the GD bacteria? It, it's a great question. It's, um, we've, we've uh, done a lot of testing um, across different uh, seed treatments. And, and as you point out, a lot of these seed treatments have uh, antibacterial and antifungal um, elements to it. And to date, we have yet to find a leading seed treatment on corn that uh, that has any significant impact on on the GD on the Invita getting in. And part of that is we we need to get it on the seed, but the the GD is is alive and around the root system um, for a number of days while it is germinating. So. Our, our theory is as long as we have enough of it around and as long as, as the uh, germinating uh, rootlets can, can come in contact with the bacteria, it doesn't take much to get in and to colonize. We just have to uh, make sure uh, we get some in the plant. And, and so far, it seems that the leading uh, seed treatments uh, we work very well with. Yeah, I guess the, the question I was going for was more like once that's in and you have a mm -hmm. good establishment of the Invita bacteria inside the plant and it's doing its thing, it's fixing nitrogen, everything's going great. And then you have a few humid days in a row and you get an outbreak of fire blight or a xanthomonas. Oh. Now the you know, farmer has to come along and apply something to control the the bacterium that regardless of nitrogen fixation is causing uh, symptoms in the plant. And so is that now make your nitrogen fixing scheme susceptible to the antibiotic treatment? Right. It's, it, it's a great question. And, and the, the, the answer I have is I, I don't know. <laughs> the, uh, we have yet to run into a, a situation where, where that has occurred. It certainly um, has been things that we've talked about, but uh, haven't got into our replicated trials yet. And uh, we have yet to run into a farmer that, uh, that has, 
has had that application on on top of that. Now, I guess the uh, as I just think about it hypothetically, it would be it would basically come down to the timing of that of that um, application if it if it did end up. Um, having an impact on the GD, there would certainly be all the benefits of nitrogen fixation up to that point. And what I'm not uh, certain about is is what it would do to the GD. Would we would we be uh, uh, have enough in there? You know, is, would there be efficacy against our particular uh, bacteria? These these are all questions that uh, that we would need to to uh, look into, but it's a, uh, it is a great question. Uh, it comes to mind for me because I use things at my space. We have um, some acreage where we use uh, double nickel, you know, and other types of biologicals um, that work really well. But once in a while you'll get an outbreak of something that you have to control that now targets your biological mm-hmm. control. So it's kind of like crop protection right. on top of crop protection, pulling in two different directions. But one thing you could do is, uh, what if you were to genetically engineer it so that it would uh, be immune from a bacterial, uh, an antibiotic treatment? You know, and now there's all kinds of controversy around that. But, but so just to be clear, this is not genetically engineered. This is just a natural strain. Correct, correct. So, um, and and I think to to some of your other podcasts, and you alluded to them at at the beginning of of uh, this program. There's there's quite a few. Um, uh, innovations out there that are uh, modified and and you know you use the uh, the term that, you know creating a chassis to bring the 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 technology into the plants and and so on so there is there there absolutely is a possibility um, to to do that with with GD here with Invita um, at this point we've had no need to modify it and be, because we we haven't had to modify it. That makes uh, registration and, and regulatory constraints uh, much uh, much easier, uh, and it makes it much quicker for us to uh, bring the product to market. So we don't have any uh, plans for modification at this point. But uh, to your point, I think there is. If we ran into a hurdle like that, there would certainly be opportunities to uh, to mitigate that through. Through modification, but does it have to go through some sort of approval process? I mean, it's a it's a bacterium that you're culturing. It's a different strain of the bacterium that's obviously been under some other levels of selection to make it a little more virulent and a little more. Uh, I mean, I want to say virulent because it's not a pathogen, but something to be a little more aggressive right. about being able to form a symbiotic relationship. You know, is there any special considerations for that, and how did that approval process work? Yeah, the um, so for the U.S., um, it is uh, it is regulated on a state by state basis, and the the fact that Invita is is a natural bacteria that it's food grade and it's not modified and it does not persist in the environment uh, after after the growing season uh, shows that it's safe and and regulators see that as well. Uh, it is a, a gram-negative bacteria, so it does not um, th- does not form any uh, spores. It does not overwinter. So you know th- there's pros and cons to that from a from a regulatory point of view. Uh, it does not persist. It it is enters into uh, the crop at the beginning of the season, and and uh, you know in most places in the United States when uh, 
when some form of winter comes, it uh, that's the end of the Invita in for the year. So um, despite our, um, our, our selection of a very robust form of it, it is... It is uh, completely safe, and the and the regulators have uh, treated that way. Treated it. Uh, that has way. the organic production community embraced this innovation? They have, yes. The uh, um, Invita has a has a nice fit in organic agriculture. Uh, we're we're currently working on our OMRI uh, certification. Um, the yeah, organic growers of, of many crops have been really excited about it, and. Uh, Honestly, the only thing that's been uh, keeping us from uh, being uh, certified right now is there's just so many opportunities for us, uh, you know, to uh, to chase at the moment. And right now we're we're focused on the 90 million acres of of uh, corn in the United States and the uh, you know, approximately 90 million acres of soybeans as well in the United States. So this is a really exciting innovation and we can imagine ways that it would have practical effects on the farm. But how do you look at this or how does your company look at this in the broader sense, say in mitigating climate challenge or maybe feeding the developing world? Yeah, I, I think this, uh, you know, what you, what you just said is, is really the, the opportunity here. It is, you know, up, up until this point, there's been two discussions going on with respect to agriculture. And one has been, you know, increasing the productivity, uh, the yields and, and feeding the world and uh, feeding a world that, that uh, with 10 billion people. And then there's been this uh, separate but parallel uh, discussion about the environment and, and the carbon footprint and climate change and these these topics have often, even though they run parallel, don't often uh, cross uh, together in a in a productive way. Uh, the technologies that we're talking about um, and and our product in Vita uh, allow these two discussions to work together um, without compromise. Finally, there's there's not a a question about should we be productive or should we be sustainable. The conversation now is. How do we become productive and sustainable? And products like Invita uh, allow those discussions to happen. I'm going to ask kind of a selfish question. Is this available for the small user? Like say somebody who might be in rural Florida who has, you know, four or five acres of crops. Yeah, it's uh, so uh, the, the answer is it depends um, and, and it comes back to uh, it comes back to in some states our current registration uh, may cover um, you know small crops home and garden uses um, but in other states it would would definitely require a separate submission um, at this stage we're only recommending it on crops that we have have extensive research on um, even even though we've again we have yet to uh, see any crop that it cannot colonize, uh, I do know that it looks great on tomatoes. <laughs> we've done lots of work on tomatoes, and it and it looks great. It has a tremendous impact on that. But if if any of your listeners have uh, any specific questions uh, about 
any niche crops or home and garden or any or any specific states, they're, they're welcome to contact us and we can give them uh, specific answers. Well, I'm dying to give it a try. We, we grow everything from, you know, tree crops all the way through annuals through, you know, we have multiple seasons here in Florida and nitrogen is a problem mm-hmm. because we have such sandy soil that anything that you apply eventually goes right through. So you have to be extremely careful with the amount you put on and you frequently find yourself in nitrate or nitrogen limitation. And so this just seems like such a no brainer to me and, and really something that should have wide scale of buy-in. So, you know, why is it that we don't see this everywhere? Is it just because it's so new? I, I think so. It's, um, it, it, uh, it, it's it's new. It's new to commercial agriculture. It's new. It's new to uh, home and garden. It's new. It's just uh, plainly uh, new. And and so the markets and all the stakeholders have to wrap their their heads around it. And and I, I guess the um, you know one of the biggest things that that we're facing with biologicals in general is that there's there's a lot of there's a lot of innovation. There's a lot of technology that that looks really good in the lab, and you know, the, the, there's the old adage of uh, of farming that you know farming is like running a factory without a roof. Um, and if if you don't if you don't have something over your over your head, um, you're you're uh, open to all the elements and and. A lot of these microbes, a lot of these microbes, as soon as you put them in, you know, the infinite, uh, um, you know, especially in the soil system, the infinite amount of, of soil textures and pH and temperatures and, and fertility levels and you name it, um, what looks good in the lab um, starts to be less practical uh, in in reality, and so, um, we, you know, we've been working with uh, with Invita since 1988. Uh, we've been working commercially with it uh, in small scale trials and large scale trials since 2012, and it's it's literally taken us this long. It's taken us decades to get to it, it to get to a commercially viable formulation that is going to work across conditions across crops, across soils, across the, the infinite curveballs that Mother Nature uh, throws at it. So I, I think, you know, back to your question, you know, why, why aren't we seeing more of this? I think, I think just the, the uh, infinite variability of, of what goes on in a commercial agriculture system is one of the biggest hurdles um, faced by, by all of this technology. And that's, that, that's what we've been working on for the last uh, 20 or 30 years. Well, it's super exciting. And it's something that when I think about it from a sustainability standpoint, it checks some of the boxes. It not only is good for the environment, but it also helps farmer economy. And, you know, those two things are really important when we start thinking about the, you know, 10 billion that'll be here in 2050. So if people wanted to learn more about your products or find you on social media, where could they learn more? Yeah, you bet. The um, so on the web they can find us at. Uh, you can Google Azotic North America. That's A Z O T I C North America, 
Uh, on Facebook, you can search Invita, and that's E-N-V-I-T-A. And on Twitter, you can search uh, Azotic N-A for North America or search Invita. Well, thank you very much for joining me. It's Nolan Berg from Azotic North America uh, with some solutions for how the future may get its nitrogen into its crops. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Kevin. It was my pleasure. And as always, thank you for joining me on the Talking Biotech podcast. Share this story. Talk about the future edges of sustainability and how the changing of the way we fertilize plants could be built into a bacterium that lives within the plant itself. These are exciting innovations that will change our sustainability footprint. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Talking Biotech Podcast. Send your suggestions for guests, comments, or questions to talkingbiotech at gmail.com. Please write a review of this podcast on iTunes and recommend it to a friend. More downloads help us reach a wider audience with science. You've been listening to Talking Biotech. Sponsored by Calabra, the platform that bridges the gap between siloed research tools. With Calabra's electronic lab notebook, scientists can work together in real time, sharing data and insights with ease. Revolutionize your research collaboration. Sign up for a demo today at calabra.app. C-O-L-A-B-R-A dot A-P-P.